You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Medical charting, something we all have to do, something we all hate to do. It takes up a lot of our time, but is it really that important? In fact, it's essential for providing continuity of care and a key factor in preventing physicians from being sued for malpractice, so don't turn that channel. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Jim Bream, an attorney with the offices of Query and Harrow. Jim concentrates on the defense of hospitals, managed care organizations, and physicians in professional liability programs. He has handled cases in the trial and appellate courts and is a featured speaker and guest lecturer on various healthcare and legal medical issues. Jim, welcome back. Thank you very much, Larry. Glad to be here again. Jim, we're talking today about something that is crucial to every physician's day and their livelihood and their family. Absolutely. Medical charting is something that simply cannot be overlooked. It is a key component to answering the question, why is it that physicians and other healthcare providers get sued? So why do we get sued, Jim? One possibility for explaining the reasons why healthcare providers get sued in medical malpractice cases is a bad outcome. And unfortunately, these are the cases that you just can't avoid. Patients or family members feel the need to redirect a bad outcome. For instance, somebody has a brain-injured infant. Future ongoing care for that child is going to be an expensive proposition. And it's one of those situations where the families will always be looking for some possible explanation through legal recourse. Or let's say you have a case where there was a failure to diagnose a DVT. At least that's the allegation. And it turns out that the death for the patient was due to the consequences of a ruptured AVM. Patients and family members particularly oftentimes can't see the medical logic and feel a need to redirect towards the healthcare provider. So when you say redirect, is this a problem in other countries? I mean, or is this a societal issue for Americans that someone has to pay, that someone is to blame, and that bad things don't happen? It's interesting because I've been exploring the topic of surgery that's going offshore, oftentimes to India or to some of the Latin American countries. They call it medical tourism. And one of the interesting points in that is that in India, for instance, there are very strict medical malpractice laws, and there's not much of a recovery that patients see from medical malpractice, and you don't have nearly the number of suits in file. So yes, I think it has a good part to do with societal pressures. You talked about bad outcomes. You know, I think any time any physician does something repetitively, surgeon takes out 100 appendixes, something bad is going to happen eventually one or two out of that hundred, something's going to go bad. And it's just a statistical problem. It's not, it has nothing to do with the surgeon, yet our society cannot handle bad things that happen to good people. And this is where sort of the second reason that physicians get sued comes into play, and that's a poor physician-patient relationship. Oftentimes, even with a bad outcome, if the physician has a good relationship with the patient or the family, because he or she takes the time to explain the procedure, to explain the risks, to be there with the family when the bad outcome has occurred, to help them through the grieving process, to appear to take the time to appear to care. You won't have a lawsuit that's filed. A lot of times, though, you are meeting the surgeon the day of the surgery, 
You've never met him before. He comes out, he says hello, and he goes back to do the surgery and then comes back out and says, I'm sorry, your loved one has died. There's no relationship there. That's right, and certainly when there's no relationship, it's a lot easier for the patient or the family to then go visit an attorney and to talk about filing a lawsuit against that physician. Also, compare the doctor who comes in to the office visit, chart in hand, spends three and a half minutes with the patient, and then rushes out without ever really listening to what the patient is saying with the practitioner who comes in, takes the chart, places it on the table, sits down in a chair, and with open arms says, why are you here today? What's going on? Those are two very different scenarios, and I would predict that in the second, with the physician who's taken the time to establish a relationship with the patient, there's much less likelihood of a lawsuit being filed, even with a bad outcome. What I'm hearing is when I go into the exam room, I should sit down, I should face the patient, I should put the chart down and say, hello, I am here, you have my undivided attention, how can I help you? Sometimes it's these little cues that the physician gives to the patient and or any family members that may be in the room with the patient, absolutely. These cues are what develops that sense of a relationship, and that's, after all, what it needs to be. It's a two-way street. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm with Jim Bream, attorney and featured speaker in various healthcare and medical legal issues. And we're talking about an extremely important topic today, why doctors get sued, and hopefully try to figure out ways for us to not get sued in the future. Jim, we're talking about what goes on in the exam room between the doctor and the patient, and just kind of what kind of mood is set as soon as the doctor walks into the room. Most communication is nonverbal, and so I'm wondering what kind of things a doctor can do to improve his relationship skills when he comes into the room? I think it's uh, little things, making eye contact, being able to have physical contact with the patient, making sure that the patient understands that the physician, regardless of how many patients may be in that waiting room, makes that patient feel as if his or her complaints are valid and has the time to listen to those complaints. And maybe within that time period of listening, the doctor will hear that one pearl that provides a diagnostic clue. I feel bad for the physicians out there who have no social skills or never learned them and just can't even pick up on patient cues and know how to relate to patients as a human and use the chart to hide behind because they are afraid of eye contact. And it's interesting, those same physicians, when they do get sued and they do have to testify at trial, oftentimes hide behind that very same chart in front of the jury or are unable to make that same eye contact in front of the jury, and the jury sees them as being incredulous. So perhaps there should be some sort of personality testing when you're about to pick your profession that you go into, and if you have no social skills, you should be directed towards um, perhaps pathology or radiology, or perhaps these people select out themselves where they belong based on their personality skills or lack thereof. Jim, is it the same doctors that get sued over and over? There may be the same physicians that you can label as frequent flyers who get sued over and over again within malpractice litigation. But no, everybody really has the potential to be named as a defendant. Do the frequent flyers get extra points with the law firm to pay their bills? Unfortunately, no, and it's sort of a reverse mileage plus program. 
We know that doctors get sued for bad outcomes. A lot of times it's not their fault. We know that doctors get sued for having poor relationship skills. Why else are we getting sued, Jim? Physicians get sued for bad charting. There's this philosophy out there, hey, if they can't read it, I can't be sued. Is that why doctors notoriously have bad handwriting and poor signatures so that the lawyer or someone looking at the chart won't know who actually did it? I knew a physician in a major teaching institution who had the attitude that, you know, I'm not going to sign off on this chart. I'm just going to let the residents do it because if my name's not in there, I won't get sued or I won't be called for a deposition. Now, unfortunately, just the reverse is true, isn't it? Because if that physician is supposed to be in a supervising capacity, we have no proof in the medical record that the physician was actually supervising the resident and approved of the actions of the resident. So it worked against him in that case? Absolutely. It wasn't his name somewhere in the health face sheet or something that documented that that physician was ultimately responsible for the patient? If you're providing patient care, you can't avoid the responsibility or role that you play in patient care. The best practice is to make sure that your charting provides good continuity of care and provides a accurate summary of the transaction between you and the patient. All right, let's get into it, Jim. Let's get into some bad charting. How about some examples of what doctors have actually written in the medical record? Let her rip. One of my favorites, I think, is the physician who wrote that the patient refused an autopsy. Well, you know, uh, at the physician's defense, I would say that it's possible that they talked about that pre-mortem. Well, and in the patient's defense, I think it was probably a good choice on the patient to refuse the autopsy. How about patient has no previous history of suicides? I, I got nothing for that one. All right. How about the patient who was alert and unresponsive? Well, you know, I've been on a few dates that were like that. Are you sensing the irony at least? How yeah. about my personal, personal favorite? And it's a little bit frightening here, but a physician did write that a rectal exam reveals a normal-sized thyroid. Well, he may have had very long fingers and or the patient had ectopic thyroid tissue. There's always, there's always explanations, Jim. How about the patient who has chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year? I think if I were on my left side for over a year, I'd have chest pain too. And then there's, of course, the healthy-appearing, decrepit, 69-year-old male, mentally alert but forgetful. Well... We're all complicated human beings, Jim. That we are, and that's certainly the type of example that we're looking at regarding making a clear charting entry. You know, the idea behind record keeping is to provide good continuity of care from one visit to the next visit, to have good communication between the healthcare team that is providing the care, and to provide documentation of patient complaints at the time that the care is rendered as well as to allow the physician to look back on a past history of a patient and follow up on prior complaints. Remember, though, importantly, the medical record is a permanent record. Once you have put pen to paper, it is there and permanent, but it is also a discoverable record. So if the case falls into litigation, anything that's in the medical record is going to be discoverable. I like to tell my nurses that anything they write, I want them to be comfortable with the fact that they may be seen on a huge poster in front of 100 people and a jury one day. And most of them don't realize that what they're writing in the chart is also a medical legal document. That's right. And one of the things that 
practitioners need to be aware of is there are some things that should go into the chart, history, physical assessment, plan, but there's other things that need to stay out of the chart, such as those who write, this was a case of error and risk management was notified, or I'm ordering that an incident report be prepared. That has nothing to do with patient care and should not be an aspect of medical charting. So that should be left out, and where should that be documented? I don't know that it needs to be documented as long as the process is put into play. If indeed one needs to go to risk management, simply go through the process of notifying your risk management department, and they'll make sure that a protected and proper investigation is conducted. Jim, thanks for coming on the show again today. We've been talking about preventing malpractice by improving our charting skills. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.